evening and welcome to the Joe Beam Show. We're welcoming you here tonight. We'll be talking about how do you tell a good marriage counselor from a useless one? Because we hear the stories all the time. Like we went to a counselor about our marriage and it was the biggest mistake ever. She helped all right. She helped destroy our marriage. Or things like, as soon as the therapist discovered that my husband was involved with someone else, he told us that he couldn't help us. That was it. Session over. My husband said, see, there's no help for us and went to the other woman. Are there any counselors out there who actually help people in our situation? Or it turns out our counselor had the philosophy that each of us should be happy. And if that wasn't together, we should follow our own individual paths to happiness. What a load of crap from a so-called marriage counselor. And on and on it goes. Now, hear this well. We like working with marriage counselors when those marriage counselors are people who are focused on helping people salvage their marriages. We also run into the results, I guess you should say, of the couples who work with people who identify themselves as being marriage counselors. But in the process, it seems that rather than helping the marriage, they hurt it. Now, let me give a disclaimer just before we get into this in the detail. I understand that sometimes a person may hear a marriage counselor say something that he or she didn't say. In other words, they walked in with a certain set of beliefs, a certain set of expectations, or even hoping to hear something, hoping to hear some little clue from this counselor or therapist that, hey, you know, you guys really can't make it. And, and if a person walks in looking for that and the marriage counselor says something that can be interpreted that way, then the person can walk out saying, see, the counselor said there's no hope for us. So I understand that some of the things that people say about their marriage counselors may not be exactly accurate. I mean, it may represent what they heard, but it may not accurately represent what the counselor said. Now, that said, I'm still going to say that based on our experience, and we work with people and marriage problems all the time, we are not counselors. We are not therapists. We work from an educational standpoint, and we work, therefore, from a different slant than they do. And we see marriage counselors out there who are doing tremendous jobs and really, really help people work out their problems, salvage their marriages, and go on to be stronger than they were before. We also hear the stories, and we hear so many of the stories, and so many of the stories are so similar that we're hearing, well, at least in my mind, I guess I should say, I don't think that we're hearing all of this as a misunderstanding of what somebody thought the counselor might have said. I mean, when you hear so many stories that are just alike, maybe just maybe some of those marriage counselors out there are actually saying some of these things. And and therefore, we do have people, for example, who come to our workshop for marriages in crisis who will tell us our counselor told us that we should just divorce. We weren't ready to do that. So we're coming to see you guys as a last hope. And often they will say, oh, our Christian counselor told us there's no hope for us. We should divorce. And we are coming to you guys as a last chance to see if we can get our marriage to survive. Now, here with me on the program tonight is Kimberly Holmes. She is the executive director of Marriage Helper, our 501c3 nonprofit organization. And Kimberly also has a master's degree in psychology. She was training to be a marriage and family therapist and then left that program. Would you like to speak to the whys and wherefores there, Kimberly? I did. So I started my master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and I did. I actually got halfway through it, and it's it's a pretty intense program to go through. You have to get a lot of intern counseling hours where you're actually counseling couples, and uh, you know a, a regular master's degree is about thirty six hours, but this degree is sixty hours. So 
it's a lot of training. Um, the program I went through, I had it was a good program and it had very good teachers. I re- I realized very quickly though, halfway through it, it was not for me because when I would get in the room with people and I would have the couples in front of me, there were things I couldn't say to them that I believed I should say to them because of the ethical code that I, as a counselor in training, was bound by. Um, and So you're saying that because of that code, you couldn't say the things that you felt you wanted to say. That's right. Um, I, I, you know, I had couples, I had couples in there, you know, one, one man was having an affair with his wife's sister. Um, I, and I, you know, at Marriage Helper, we speak very openly about the, the effects of affairs and how that's not a good thing. And, and things like that. Um, as a therapist, it's harder to say your beliefs about that because according to the ethical code, you you can't reflect your beliefs onto someone else if they don't believe it as well. Um, and and I even had a, one person I worked with, they had a same gender attraction, which is something I don't, I also have a difficult time supporting or thinking about uh, helping in, in senses like that. So I, I couldn't voice my beliefs, which if you know me, I don't like not being able to say exactly what I'm thinking. And there were many times I wanted to slap people right upside the head. Many times <laughs> which, I is, which is probably frowned on in right. the uh, therapeutic community. Very much frowned upon. But not only that, I noticed that some of the people I was in school with and I saw the way they lived their life, their lives, and I saw the way that they handled their own marriages. And I just thought if, if I knew, if I, I hope no one ever sees this client, this therapist, if they're trying to save their marriage, because they don't know how to have a good marriage themselves. Okay. So we're going to be giving uh, cues, clues, or points, whatever you want to call them all the way through this program about how do you find a good marriage counselor and understand that a marriage counselor or therapist is not exactly the same as a counselor or therapist. Now they do have the training as Kimberly just said, they have a lot of training and their training is more in the marriage area. So for example, if you're having issues because of what happened uh, with your parents being an alcoholic when you were a kid and you're really having difficulty dealing with that now, it's probably not the marriage counselor you're looking for. You're looking for a different kind of psychotherapist or counselor who can help you with those issues. So we're not talking about counselors in general, all counselors, all therapists. That's not what we're talking about. Tonight, we're talking about marriage counselors, the one who actually advertised themselves I guess technically they don't really advertise, but the ones who, who make it known, Remote. we are here as a marriage counselor. We're here to help you with your marriage. Therefore, if you're trying to find a marriage counselor, what should you be looking for? Okay, here's one tip, and we'll give several before the program is over. Decide if you want to deal with one who is licensed by the state or one who is a pastoral counselor. And here's what I mean by that. If a counselor is working through a church, and that's what we call a pastoral counselor, then they don't have to meet the same licensing criteria as a person who would be, well, a licensed professional counselor, for example. Now, you say, okay, well, which one do I want? Now, we're not going to tell you which one you want. That's up to you based on what it is that you're dealing with. The licensed professional counselor has gone through probably... And I say probably because you'll need to ask, but probably a lot more education and training than the pastoral counselor. At the same time, just as Kimberly was just saying, 
to be licensed by the state. And this is pretty well nationwide, I'm thinking, right? I mean, it's not just like the state I live in. It's this. That's right. There's depending on which it is, if, whether it's a marriage and family therapist or a licensed professional counselor, there's different organizations that they have to be a part of when they're licensed. And that's nationally. And the, those organizations are what have these rules that they have to follow. Okay. And so therefore, a licensed professional counselor, for example, will have some ethical codes by which he or she must live. And that's what Kimberly was referring to earlier, which means that they cannot be as confrontational about things. They, they have to work within whatever it is that you want. So, for example, we were talking to a therapist today, a, a woman uh, that we both think very highly of. She's not a marriage counselor. So understand it was a different kind of therapist. And she was explaining the ethics and how it would be that if, if you came in and say it's a couple who came in and said in front of a therapist who's licensed and, and let's say it's the husband, it could be the wife. We just need to pick one. So we'll make it the husband. The husband says, you know, I'm in love with Sally and I, I think my only happiness is going to be with, be with Sally that by the, the codes of ethics that certain licensed counselors have to live by, the counselor couldn't say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. The counselor couldn't say, let me tell you what's going to happen This terrible here because the counselor can't use his or her own beliefs and value systems. They have to operate within the beliefs and the value systems of the client. Whereas if you're dealing with a pastoral counselor, in other words, a person who can help you, who is not licensed by the state, therefore not having to meet those same ethical codes, but maybe working out of a church and, and has some training. As a matter of fact, you can find some good pastoral counselors who have a lot of training out there. Some, some don't, some do, but in that environment, they can actually say things like, well, my belief in value system is uh, adultery is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. And so is there value in a licensed counselor? Yes, because of the fact that they probably have more training. They do have to answer to certain criteria. And so therefore that's a plus for them. A potential negative for them when it comes to marriage counseling is that by the ethical code they have to operate under to be licensed as they are, they may not be able to take uh, some stands, if you will, that you wish that the counselor would take. So the pros and cons for the other kind of counselor, so that we're calling the pastoral counselor, is they may not have as much education. As a matter of fact, I uh, have met pastoral counselors, people who work on the church staff, who have very little training at all. And here they are trying to help you. And so they're not as trained. They haven't had as much education. But on the other hand, they do have more ability to take a stand for, well, adultery is a sin. This is wrong, that kind of thing. Now, am I representing that correctly? I would I would say yes, that you are. The The only thing that I was thinking, in addition to this, if I can remember it, <laughs> was um, that just because a person, just because of, uh, I'm, I've lost my train of thought. I need you to jump in and say what. Well, you I can't jump in because I don't know <laughs> what you were saying, so I don't know uh, what to help you with here. It's really hard. Uh, I had something really good. I just need a minute to remember it. Okay, basically, what I was saying was that a licensed counselor and therapist is going to have a certain amount of education, training, supervision, and etc. to get licensed, whereas a person who works in another situation, like a church will not have had to go through all of those things. And while some people who are pastoral counselors do have a tremendous amount of education and are very wise and are really good at what they do, there are some people who are in pastoral situations who really have very little training at all 
and they're just kind of going by the, the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. And here's why that matters to you in your situation right now, especially if you're in a marriage where one of you really wants to save it and one of you wants out and you're using this one chance at getting marriage help to go to a marriage counselor. If you get to a counselor and your husband is having an affair, let's just say you're the wife, your husband's having an affair and your husband says, I'm having an affair. I don't want to save the marriage. And you're sitting there saying, I do want to save the marriage. Then Depending on the depending on the counselor you have, the counselor could very well say, I can't work with you. I cannot help you save this marriage because there there's a conflict there. And since they can't tell you which one that, that you, both of you together should pursue, they're just going to say something that's probably your spouse is going to hear is saying, see, no one can help us which is going to further your spouses into wanting to leave the marriage. Because by their training, it would be if you want out of the marriage, if that's what you truly want, then it's not my job to talk you out of that. Right. It's my job to help you accomplish that. If that's your goal and to the spouse that wants to save the marriage, well, I'll, I'll help you as much as I can, but I cannot confront your spouse and say, you shouldn't do that because, because I see each of you as the client. So we recommend this, no matter who you decide to see, one of the first questions to ask is, do you see the individuals as the client or do you see the marriage as the client? And if they say, well, I see the individuals as the client, then that's probably how they've been trained. It's also the way they're going to operate, which is going to be, let me help each of you get what it is that you want. And if one of you is in love with somebody else, you now see the problem with that. If he, the counselor or she, the counselor is helping each of you get what you want. If you find a therapist, on the other hand, or counselor who says, no, I don't, I don't see the individuals as my client. I am a true marriage counselor. Therefore, I see the marriage as the client. And I'm going to do whatever I can in any way I can to help you guys figure out what your problems are, how to solve those problems, and how to put your marriage back together and make it stronger, even if one of you is in love with someone else. I'm, I'm working with you to do that because I see the client as being the marriage. Am I saying that in a way that makes any sense or not? Well, it makes sense to me, <laughs> but <laughs> we've talked about this a lot. Um, one of the things I think that everyone listening should also be aware of is we've, especially you, have had talks with people who are counselors, asking them very candidly, what is your success rate with couples who are experiencing affairs in their marriage? Mm-hmm. I remember we, you actually, we were together and asked one and she gave an amazingly high number. Remember that? And we I said, do. wow, good for you. We're so happy. And then you happen to think, and then you ask her, does that mean, how do you measure success? How do you measure success? And I, I even have an email. I send everyone about this. If you're in our email list, but how do you measure success? We measure success. When you hear us say three out of four marriages that come through our workshop end up being saved, that means literally what we're saying. Three out of four marriages actually are staying together after coming through our our workshop. We have over a 98% satisfaction rating, but that's not what we advertise. That is what a lot of counselors will will say. They'll say, Oh, we have, I think, I don't remember what that one, 85%. She said, I have an 85% success rate. And I said, so, you know, what does that mean? And she said, that means 85% of the people I work with 
are happy with the service I provided them when I'm done with it, which means nothing. Mm -hmm. I actually thought she had a little to that. What she said was 85% of the people that did what I told them to do Mm -hmm. actually stay together. But so I don't count the people that wouldn't do what I told them to do. So what she was saying was out of every hundred people, I said, do this. Every hundred people who actually did that, 85 of them stayed married and 15 didn't. And so therefore, if they didn't do exactly what she told them to do, she didn't count them at all. (laughs) Which you can't do. (laughs) So therefore, her success rate was 85%. Now, we're not here trying to tell you that uh, forego your counselors and come to us. That's not it. Unless it's a bad counselor. (laughs) No, no, that's not it. (laughs) And when Kimberly just was citing our statistics, that wasn't to try to convince you that you should leave your counselor. That, That was not what that was for. It's saying we measure success by this criteria. If you're going to be dealing with a counselor or therapist, and it's a fair question to say, okay, in the marriages you deal with, with a problem like ours, what is your percentage of success? Now, if they say, well, I really don't know, you might want to pry a little deeper. And if they would say, well, okay, I think maybe 50%, then the question you're going to be, uh, that you really need to ask is, what does that 50% mean? What are you basing mm-hmm. that on? Now, you say, wait a minute, are you, are you saying I should ask questions of a counselor? Yes, we recommend. Okay, the first the first suggestion we gave was decide whether you want a licensed counselor or a pastoral counselor. And we give you some criteria to think about on both sides when you decide that. The second thing is this. If you're going to look for a counselor, and get referrals. I mean, you typically aren't going to do the best job just by opening the phone book and saying, oh, here's a counselor. Let me go see him or her. What you really want to do is to talk to people, talk to your physician and say, have you sent anybody to a counselor or do you know of a marriage counselor who has helped situations like ours? And if your physician, he or she says, well, yeah, uh, I know that counselor ABC over here has helped some marriages out. And I know that some of my patients have been there and it has turned out well for them and it helped them work out their problems and salvage their marriage then that's the kind of reference you want to hear. And so you can ask your physician, uh, particularly your, your uh, primary care p- physician, if he or she knows of someone they can recommend. And you could even ask questions of your doc when you do that. Like, what do you know about this counselor? And what do you know about his or her success? You can also ask your minister. Uh, who have you referred people to or have heard stories from people in your church that have gone to a marriage counselor uh, what kind of situations have you sent? What kind of success have you heard back? What have people had to say about this particular counselor or therapist? And you can do the same things with your friends and family. And it's always better if you can find somebody who's actually sent people to them or who has actually been to them themselves. Now, here's a little caveat to that. If a person says, oh, yes, I went to see counselor ABC and he was so wonderful. He helped me so much. I am so much better today. That's great. Wonderful. But now you need to clarify, what does that mean? (laughs) I mean, did you go to him for marriage counseling? And if the person says, oh, yes, we went for marriage counseling. Well, how did he help your marriage? Well, actually, he didn't help a marriage at all. He told us that he was going to help each one of us find fulfillment individually. And so he helped me find my fulfillment individually. Then that still may not be the person that you want to go to if indeed your goal is to try to save your marriage. Now, if you're looking for a therapist who can help you with whatever issues that you have, Wonderful. 
I mean, that's okay. Praise God. But if you're looking for one who's going to help you save your marriage, when you get referrals from a physician or a pastor or family or friend, ask what kind of problems went there that you know of or that you personally experienced and what kind of results have they had. Now, if you can't find that, okay, if that doesn't help you, then we suggest that you uh, contact Focus on the Family out in Colorado. They have a list of counselors they have vetted around America. Now, what that means is they have done uh, vetting. This I don't think it means <laughs> that they have gone in and actually sat down with every counselor and asked tons and tons of questions, but maybe it does. I do know that vetting at least means they've checked this person out, have seen uh, some credentials, have found out some things about him or her. And so quite often you can call focus on the family and say, Hey, I live in Toledo or I live in uh, a slippery rock or I live in, in, in Missoula, wherever have you vetted any Christian? And cause that's because they're going to only be vetting Christian counselors because of who they are. Have you vetted any Christian counselors who are where I am that deals with marriage problems and, and they'll have a list of vetted counselors. Now, if you wish, you can also go to the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists. You can go to places like that, like Network Therapy, and they have a list of counselors and therapists. But understand that just because a person is a member of WMFT, American Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, it will mean they have certain levels of credentials and certain levels of education and training and experience. That does mean that. But it does not mean necessarily that he or she will have the same beliefs and values that you have. And what we're recommending, again, with everything we say, you make your own decisions. But what we're recommending is if you're going to see a counselor or therapist to help you with your marriage, you really are better off to find one who has the same beliefs and values that you have. So let's say you've kind of narrowed it down. You've got maybe one or two or three counselors that based on you've made a decision, okay, I'm going to talk to this pastoral counselor. He or she works out of this church. I don't have the licensing, but I'm also going to talk maybe to this LPC licensed professional counselor over here, because I hear some good things about her. What you do is you ask for a 10 minute pre-interview. Now, most counselors, as a matter of fact, the ones that we know of uh, that we've dealt with will give you that 10 minutes for free. Whereas you call and say, look, I, I have a problem. I, I realize in 10 minutes, I can't tell you my whole problem. I'm going to give you just the gist of it. But then after I give you the gist of my problem, I want to ask some questions of you. Now, at this point, what you really want to do is have written down the questions that you're going to ask of him or her. And they, there can't be a lot of them, obviously, because you're only going to have 10 minutes. Now, if if you hear enough in that 10 minutes that you think, I think this person will be a good person, but I'm still not sure. Then in that case, you might, might want to make your first appointment individually and, and let them know when I come for this first appointment, I'm actually coming to ask you a lot more questions about you. I want to feel good about you and what you do before I bring my spouse in here as well. Now, understand what I'm saying is the 10 minute call, you can learn a lot. And it may be that you'll learn enough in that 10 minute call that you'll be fine. Okay. I, I feel good about that. I'm going to bring my husband. I'm going to bring my wife. We're going to make an appointment to come see you. Or it could be that you get just intrigued enough to think, I think you're the person that can help us, but I still got a question or two. Therefore I'm going to make an appointment and you'll have to pay for that one. Of course, 
I'm going to make an appointment. I'm going to come in for my first session. But in my first session, I will tell you just a little bit more about my problem, but I'm going to be asking a lot more questions of you. And and will that be okay for our first visit? I mean, I'll be paying, but are you willing to answer my questions in the first visit? Now, if they're, you know, the kind of people who feel superior, like, how dare you question me? If you're going to come in and ask me questions, find somebody else, then take that advice. <laughs> Go find somebody else. Because this can be the make it or break it situation for you. And it should be that a counselor, particularly, I know you're taking an hour of his or her time, therefore you should pay for it. But it should be that they don't have any um, reservations about you coming in there and asking questions. You say, okay, what kind of questions? Well, if licensure is important to you, then ask about that. If it's not, don't worry about it. But be sure to ask about their beliefs and values. And let me explain what I mean by that. If, if you say, are you a Christian counselor? And they say, yes, that really hasn't told you anything about their beliefs or values. Because a lot of people wear the title Christian who believe very different things and value very different things. And so if there are things that are important to you, then what you want to do is ask about those specific beliefs and values. Now, already we said, one of the questions I would ask if I were looking for a marriage counselor and that first 10 minute pre, you know, pre visit where it's, it's free. I'm just interviewing counselors. I'm looking for one. I would definitely ask about anything that was important to me, such as, okay, do you see the individuals as the client or the marriage as the client? If the person says, I see the individuals as the client, then you might actually make a follow-up of, but I'm looking for somebody who will fight to help save my marriage. And I need somebody who's going to do that. Do you fight to help save a marriage or do you help each person try to find his or her own path to happiness? And if, even if they say, well, yes, I fight for the marriage, but I do it by helping each person find his or her own path to happiness. You might want to hear that as language of saying, that's not who you're looking for. What you're looking for is somebody who says, yes, I care about the individuals. That's very important. But I see the marriage as the client. And what I want to do is if at all possible, help you save that marriage. Now, if you have any particular set of Christian beliefs or other beliefs that apply to your situation, you need to ask specifically about those things. Now, a little caveat here. The counselor doesn't have to have your exact belief and value system if he or she is willing to work within your value system. So they don't have to agree with you on everything that you think or feel eye to eye. That does not have to occur. But they do have to understand what's important to you and what you believe. For example, I was flipping channels. Oh, this is a couple of years ago. Uh, a book had just come out by a pastor and his wife about sex. And one of the chapters in the book was about you don't have great sex with your spouse by fantasizing about somebody else. I'm flipping channels one night. Uh, why was I flipping channels? Because I'm male. I can't watch one channel. So as I'm flipping channels, I come across this angry female, quote, therapist, end quote, who was saying, I am sick of all these Christian people who come in saying that they shouldn't fantasize about other people. I can't tell you the number of Christian people I've had to convince. Give that up. Stop believing that. Fantasize about other people if you want to. It helps you have a better sex life. Now, her belief in value system certainly didn't respect the belief in value system of the clients who walk in her office who were Christians. So you want somebody who respects your belief in value systems, somebody you feel good enough about that you can trust them to work with you for what you truly want. So if you're trying to save your marriage, it's good to find a counselor who fights hard to save marriages and doesn't default to, well, 
uh, maybe you need to divorce if they find that you have a tough situation. So just in addition to what Joe is saying, asking them what their beliefs and values are in the context of counseling. If you ask a if you ask a counselor in the, if you say it this way, if you say, do you believe that people should divorce if there's been an affair? If you make it a personal question or if you ask them about their own marriage or if they're married or anything like that, counselors are taught not to answer those questions. If it's something personal about them that that uh, that that gives you an insight into their own personal life, they're taught not to answer those kinds of questions. So if you're going to ask them questions about their beliefs and values, then it does need to be like Joe was saying. When you work with couples in this situation, what do you do in that sense? Not personally, what do you think about this? That's a very good point, and and uh, thanks for clarifying that. So it's got to be this situation. So, for example, another thing you would ask about, in addition to their beliefs and values, then it kind of falls on the heels of that is, you know, what's your success rate with people who have similar issues to mine? Now, obviously, again, you can't tell them all your troubles. And if you try to sell it, tell them all your troubles, you're going to wind up losing because, I mean, you only have 10 minutes. So you give a gist. So you can say things like this. Uh, my husband... Uh, is, or, or my wife, we've been meeting up the husbands. Let's change the wives. My wife is in love with another man. She wants to be with him. She doesn't want to be with anymore. Um, she's moved out, but she said she will go see a marriage counselor with me. Um, what, what do you believe should happen with a couple like that in counseling? And then listen to what they say. And if they say, well, we're going to help each of you find happiness by your own path. <clears throat> Maybe not you. Well, uh, we will help you figure out how to solve that problem, put your marriage back together so she comes home and everything works out. That's a whole lot better thing. And then you could say, okay, in those kinds of situations, such as I just described, and, and you didn't spend more than 30 seconds describing your situation, what has been your success rate with that? And if they say something like, well, not good. <laughs> First of all, by the way, you do want them to be honest. You don't want them to lie. Okay. And, and so therefore, they don't have to say 75%. What you want to hear is to hear what success have you had in those kinds of situations. For example, there are people who sometimes ask me when they call, uh, they'll talk to us and they'll say, well, based on the situation that I've just described to you, what success have you people had with that? And, and uh, for example, if, if a person leaves a spouse for a same gender person, so if a woman leaves her husband for another woman, a man leaves his wife for another man, I've been asked those questions, is your success rate just as high in those situations as it is in other situations? And our honest answer is, no, it's not nearly as high in those situations. We, we try just as hard. We do the same things. We work on it intently. But our success rate with that is relatively low. We're, we're not very good at helping people overcome that. And so you want somebody to be honest, somebody who will tell you the truth about that. It doesn't mean that they can't help you at all, but if you listen to their success rate, you might get a better idea. And so there's another part, and I've already alluded to this. So let me just say it now. You can ask a question like this. Uh, so how would you approach helping people with the problem that I just told you about? How would you, how would you go about helping me if my wife has moved out, she's in love with another guy, but she's willing to do marriage counseling? How would you approach a situation like that? Now, they can't tell you everything specifically because they haven't actually met you and your wife yet. Therefore, they can't evaluate some of these things. But at least you can get a general idea. Person, again, you're listening. Well, 
I probably have sessions just with your wife on her, on her own, find out what it is she really wants that will fulfill her in life. And I'll help her find that. And then I'll do the same for you. Well, okay. I understand. And that's what some therapists do, but in marriage counseling, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody who can help me help my wife think through the consequences of this decision. I don't want you to become God. I don't want you to become her parent. I don't want you to sit there and preach at her, but I do want to know that you have a belief and value system and that you can use in the counseling session. And again, you may have more flexibility here with people in pastoral situations that where I know that you're going to help fight for my marriage. So tell me the kinds of things you would do to make that happen. And then of course, a couple of other questions like based on what I said to you, how many sessions do you think that might take? Now they can't give you a definitive answer on that, but you're looking for somebody who is not trying to hook you into coming back for the next six months, Mm -hmm. every week or twice every week for the next six months. Uh, I tend to shy away from those. And it's also fair to ask, you know, what do you charge? And if you have insurance, uh, then you can say, do you take the kind of insurance that I have? You can ask all those things. Now that's kind of tough to put all into the first 10 minutes on a phone call. So you take what's important to you. And by the way, you can go back and listen to this thing again and again and again in the future. You can also listen to it later on iTunes by subscribing to marriage radio there and go back and go through all of these things again and again, listening some more, you know, okay, maybe I write this down. I'll write that down. I'll do that. And then you, you decide which of these are the most important to me that I can ask in that first 10 minutes. Now, if you say, okay, but I want to know more. So I think I'm going to have that first, you know, real session where I go without my spouse and I'm going to go in there and ask a lot more questions about how he or she approaches this. Now, Kimberly's already wisely said, you can't ask them questions about them personally because they're trained not to answer those. As a matter of fact, it's a good idea that they don't. But, and the reason for that is because if counselors make themselves too vulnerable, then things can happen with them and their clients. And that's not a good thing. So if, if you go further, let's say you went for the first visit. Now, I mean, be pleasant to begin with, get to know him or her. Some of the first conversation will be just be kind of polite things as you get to know each other. And then you restate your situation. Okay. My wife says that she's in love with this other guy. She's already moved out, but she's willing to come to counseling. So I want to ask you more specific questions. And then Again, I would come back to the same question. Do you consider the individual spouses as your clients or do you consider the marriage as your client? And I would really probe into that a little bit. And then I'd, I'd ask questions like this. Well, when do you feel that a marriage should end? With a couple that you're helping, when do you feel that a marriage should end? Now, listen very carefully to that answer. Ask for any clarification that you need, because if you want to salvage your marriage, it may be valid challenge to answer if it doesn't sound like the counselor's dedicated to saving marriages. Now, if you were to ask me, when should you, Joe, believe that a marriage should end? I think some people would think that Joe would say, well, a marriage never should end. And that would not be correct. If you were asking me privately and individually, Joe, when do you think a marriage should end? I would say things like, well, if one of you is in danger then I think the marriage has to end. You've got to get to safety. Now, later, if the person can get help, then you can put a marriage back together. But, you know, if your husband's coming home drunk every Friday night and beating you, uh, do I think a marriage should end? And uh, Well, first of all, we try to help him get the help he gets. If he doesn't get that help, if he keeps doing that, should you get out of that marriage? In my opinion, yes. Or if you're married to a spouse that keeps doing the same terrible, destructive thing over and over again, and it's become evident that he or she's never going to stop, 
and you've done everything you can and you've gotten other people to do everything they can. And the spouse just keeps on doing those destructive things like gambling all your money away uh, or even, God forbid, doing something terrible to your children. Yeah, I think there are times when marriages should end. But when we look at a marriage, we say, but before you get there, there's a whole lot of things we're going to suggest that you do. Mm-hmm. and try to do all of those things you possibly can. And so if your counselor says, well, a marriage should end when, listen carefully. Now, if your counselor says, well, well, if people just aren't happy, then marriage should end so they could be happy. That one you might want to question a lot more because happiness is based on what's happening. What that means is you're basically on whatever's happening right now. So is that really a good reason to make a decision to end the marriage? I mean, that's something that should be permanent and lifelong end it because right now you're not happy today. Eh, you might want to question that a lot more. And then you might want to, if there's been unfaithfulness in your situation, you might want to ask a question like, well, how do you deal with couples when one of them has been unfaithful? And, and then you need to ask because we have actually run into this several times. Ask if the counselor will see both of you. If your spouse is currently in an affair. You know, if that's your situation, will you work with both of us together? We have discovered that some counselors won't work with a couple if one's involved with somebody else unless the straying spouse has committed to end the affair and salvage the marriage. And they won't work with them until that happens. Well, there are other counselors out there who really were. Or, or you can say things, okay, uh, please tell me, uh, well, you get the prompt. I, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming redundant and I don't want to do that. One other question that's slightly different than what he said so far is asking the therapist or if the, if the parent, if the therapist says, when you say, when do you think a marriage should end? If the therapist says, when you're ready to end the marriage, then I would confront that back by saying, well, what if I'm not ready to end the marriage? But when I bring my spouse in, they say they are ready to end the marriage because you want to know what the counselor therapist is going to say to that before gets in the room. That's excellent. That's really good. I like that a lot. And, and so you can ask this question kind of like what Kimberly was just saying. Then do you work with couples with the intent of saving the marriage? Even if one of the spouses isn't currently interested in saving the marriage, because some counselors won't, some marriage counselors will say, well, you know, unless you're both committed to this, you don't need to come see me. There are other marriage counselors who'll say, well, if one of you doesn't want to be in a marriage, I'll still work with you and try to help you guys figure out how to save the marriage. And then you can, if, if they say, yeah, I'll work with you, you might want to ask the same kind of question I asked earlier. Well, how do you deal with that kind of problem? How do you approach that? All right. So I'm going to wind up here. I'm going to share some things from an article that I read recently. So far, uh, nobody has clicked on the number one there so they can talk to us. So I guess that Either we've been so absolutely fascinating, you haven't wanted to ask questions, or that you're really intent on hearing these suggestions. But make sure that you understand that this is a live program, and we have at least 20 minutes left in the program. And if you would like to ask specific questions of us, then you can do so. What you do is you press the number one on your phone, and that signals us that you wish to talk to us. Now, we have a lot of callers out there. We can see them who are listening on their phone, in addition to all those that are listening on their on their computers. But if you press that number one, then it signals us that you wish to talk to us. We'll click in and we will talk to you and answer specific questions. Now, if you're thinking, well, I do have specific questions, but it's not necessarily about this. 
can I ask another question, a different question about relationship, marriage, et cetera? Sure, you can. You can always do that. And we'll be glad to talk to you about that. Now, just for, oh, good. We're beginning to light up with callers. Just before, just before I start taking the first call, there's an article written by, by Pittman and Wagers called The Relationship, If Any, Between Marriage and Infidelity. It's in the Journal of Couple Relationship Therapy uh, from 2005. I'm just going to read two sections out of that to you because I think they're great. Now, they're saying, okay, that there's some therapists who are disastrous if you go to see these therapists after there's been infidelity in your marriage. So if you're dealing with infidelity, these are the kind of therapists that you don't want to see. Number one, rescuers. Either those who protect the victim from the villain or those who protect the perpetrator from the guilt. Crises can be opportunities for many things, certainly for intimacy. Guilt, in other words, things like I could have done better, that's good for you. But shame, like I'm weak and helpless and I can't help doing what I do, that's what disempowers you and paralyzes you. Number two, avenging angels who use their positions as therapists to punish imperfect mates. We have heard that so many times. Like my spouse, I mean, my therapist tells me I should do this to punish my spouse and do that to punish my spouse. Can you go back to number one? Because I still don't understand what that means. Rescuers, either those who protect the victim from the villain or those who protect the perpetrator from the guilt. In other words, I'm going to protect you from your spouse. Okay. We don't want you to rescue me from my spouse. We want you to help us deal with our problems and establish our marriage. You want someone that's going to confront it. Right. So don't protect me from my spouse. Don't protect me because you see me as the victim and don't protect me because you see me as the villain. I want you to help me deal with what's going on here. And so if I'm feeling guilt, don't try to protect me from guilt. Help me deal mm-hmm. with my guilt. If, if I'm doing something bad, point out that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. So don't try to rescue us. As individuals, one from the other, what you want us to do is to deal with the marriage. Mm-hmm. All right. Number three, neutrals, who by not taking a stand, leave people's lives at the mercy of their feelings. Now, in the throes of crisis in which their feelings are utterly unreliable for reasons best explained by Helen Fisher when she wrote about, about limerence in 1992, the brain goes kaflooey when the boundaries are breached and the feelings are increasingly unreliable and disconnected from the realities of the past, present, and future. What he's saying is that the therapist is being neutral. When somebody's totally out of control emotionally and you're just being neutral, well, I understand what you feel, and they don't become confronted to that, you're not doing anybody any good because mm-hmm. they're all mixed up to begin with. Mm-hmm. And by saying, well, just do what your heart leads you to. Their heart doesn't know. <laughs> they're so messed up. They don't know what's best. All right. Number four, anti-marriage self-actualizers. You deserve better. Mm-hmm. Get out of this because you I feel like better. that's a lot of counseling. Oh, a lot of counseling. Weird, a lot. Number five, romantics who think marriages should conform to the therapist's fantasies. Those are probably the therapists that have never been married or divorced. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he's saying those those are the ones who are, don't do well with infidelity. Now, uh, I have posted those on Facebook. And uh, if you want this list. We can refer you to that article. We'll tell you where it is. Again, it's called The Relationship, if any, between marriage and infidelity. It's by Pittman and Wagers, W-A-G-E-R-S. And it's the Journal of Couple and Relationship Therapy, 2005. And you can find the whole article there, which is outstanding. Just for the sake of copyright, we can't read you the whole article. We can only read excerpts from it. And so here's what they're saying. Okay. Therapists, if they're going to be successful in helping people with infidelity, these are the things you look for in the therapist. Number one, that they actually believe in marriage. 
Mm-hmm. It sounds elementary, but it's so true. Number two, that they see the benefits of marriage for the kids and the adults. Number three, that they see character building opportunities in the middle of the crisis. Mm-hmm. Okay, rather than you guys bailing out on this, this is a way for you to grow and learn and become better. And number four, be unafraid of, of conflict, yet not in love with anger either. So they don't want to make you fight just for the sake of fighting, but they're not afraid of having conflict right there in the room. Number five, they know and accept the life cycle of marriage. Don't ask me what that is. I don't have time for it. Number six, <laughs> number six, never compare anything as complex, rich, and total as marriage, which abounds in reality to something as shallow, two-dimensional as an affair. Affairs are fantasies for people who are afraid to grow up. And number seven, take infidelity very seriously. Post-traumatic reactions in both partners are frequent and can become chronic. Therapists must have the courage to safely and persistently explore the impact of the affair. And they're saying, okay, if we do that, you're going to say something? I really like number six. Okay, number six said? (laughs) It said, never compare anything as complex, rich, and total as marriage to something as shallow as an affair. Affairs are fantasies for people who are afraid to grow up. I love that. I do, too. So if your therapist looks at you and says, well, you're in love with Sally, that'll make you happy, then that's what you need to pursue. That applies to that kind of therapist right there. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? Mm-hmm. This this is not good. All right. Now, after all that, we have several callers out here. We do. And normally, I just have to say it, normally you all get to say hi, Joe. But tonight you all get to say Dr. Joe because he is now a doctor. Well, it took me only about 47 years, <laughs> but I have finally completed my PhD. All right, we're going to area code 512. Hello, area code 512. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, is it me? Yes, you're on there. What's your first name, please? Lynn. Hi, Lynn. How can we help you tonight? So my question is, um, uh, we are going through an infidelity situation, and um, the, we've tried a couple of counselors, and um, both of them have said that I am dealing with post-traumatic stress from the trauma triggers and things like that from the affair. One of them suggested um, EMDR or EFT, um, mm-hmm. which you know, I don't know anything about. What do you think about those those methods, I guess? Well, EMDR is if you if you have PTSD of any kind, then EMDR is supposedly the most effective thing for it. I have done EMDR and I, I don't I don't have PTSD from any specific event in my life. I don't have PTSD. But I my counselor or therapist a few years ago thought it might be helpful. And I can tell you it is very intense and very, um, when you're done with it, when you're done with the session, you're going to feel just drained with everything. If you are ready to go into something that deep, then it it is the best thing. It's kind of weird how they do it. You lie down on a couch and they give you these two things that you hold in your hand and they mimic your rapid eye movement. They vibrate back and forth from each hand, and it kind of mimics your rapid eye movement. And and the thought process behind it is that you can go deeper into your memory, into things in your past by doing that, and it can recall some things from, 
you know, years ago from certain situations that you might not remember otherwise. And when it comes up, you can deal with it. And once you deal with it, it won't haunt you anymore or you won't have those recurring thoughts anymore. That would be what they would what they would refer to as success. So EMDR is very effective, but it's very emotional and it's very draining. EFT is completely different and it's um, emotionally focused therapy. And I think that's the one that concentrates a lot on guilt and shame and uh, finding the healthy balance between those two things. So um, EFT is used a lot in actually in marriage counseling. So I don't know if you're going for, for your marriage or just for yourself, it might be helpful for your marriage, even if you just do it on yourself. But um, you know, it's it's more traditional in the in the way that they carry it out. Both of them are considered to be very successful kinds of therapies, and as Kimberly just said, the EFT, particularly in such a, of marriage situations, is considered to be very effective. So, are you trying to decide if you want to do that or not? Yes, you know, I don't want to go. I don't want to get into any. I don't, you know, I hate to use this word, but hocus pocus type stuff that. It, for one, counseling is expensive, so, mm -hmm. you know, I want it to be effective, you know, what what mm -hmm. we do. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of what I have found with this marriage counseling staff trying to get through this affair situation is so, there's a lot of redundant stuff, and I I need something to help me get over it, you know, and so I'm grasping at straws, basically. If if it were I, and I'm not going to tell you what to choose, but if it were I, I probably would choose the EFT and not the EMDR. But that's just my okay. own personal opinion. Are you having trouble forgiving in this process? Extreme trouble forgiving, yes. Okay. Well, I understand And that. we're going uh, to a pastoral counselor, and I'm trying really hard, but I just cannot get to that forgiveness point and let go of it. I obsess over it. I can tell you one free resource if you like to, if you're willing to read it. Uh, okay. Some time ago, I wrote a series of blogs about forgiveness and, and the process of, of being able to forgive another person. It's not, I don't think they're on our marriage helper website, website like most of my things are. This one is actually on joebeam, J-O-E-B-E-A-M dot com slash blog. And so if you go to joebeam.com slash blog, look for forgiveness. I think there's a search engine on there. And and it was like, oh, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've written it, but I think it was five or six different blogs. It was a series and, and they were not short little blogs. They were longer, more like articles, if you will. And, okay. and it carried to the process of if you're going to forgive, this is the process you can go through to do it. Now, I'm not saying it's magic. You're not going to read that and go, wow, thank you, Joe. I just read your words and now I'm all better. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying it's, if you're really having trouble forgiving, that's at least a place to start that will help you think through some of the things. You would understand that uh, in the world we're in, I mean, we do uh, a three-day intensive, marriage intensive every month. And 67% of the of the marriages that come through that workshop the marriage has been affected by infidelity, either his or hers or both. And and you would imagine then how many people we deal with who are really having trouble forgiving. So it's one thing that, uh, like in our workshop, for example, we spend hours working through helping people understand forgiveness, how to forgive, those kinds of things. 
and and the gist of that, not all of that, because they couldn't put all of that into those on those articles. But the gist of that you can find in those articles, and I think they can be of value. They can help. And and uh, again, we can't recommend what kind of therapy you go get, but based on what you're saying, my guess is that EFT is the better choice for you, particularly if you um, okay. if you're don't want things that you look at as being hocus pocus. I'm not saying EMDR is hocus pocus is not, but it's it's going to be a lot different than traditional counseling that you would be expecting. And you don't do it with anyone else. So if it's some if you and your husband are looking to do something together, EMDR is n- only for you. It, your husband wouldn't be in the room. I I would hope not. But again, yeah, it's no, your I, I I am kind of looking for something just for me to get past okay. the trauma triggers. You know, I, everything mm-hmm. reminds me of it. I mean, literally, it's amazing how many things you never even noticed before that now mm-hmm. are to, to bring visions in your head, and oh, yeah. I want it gone. I understand. Now you do realize that. There is no such thing as forgive and forget. I mean, it's you don't go to a brainwashing where your brain has no memory of it anymore. Forgiving is actually getting to the point where that you don't think about it often. And when you do think about it, you're able to control it. And then as the more time goes by, you think about it less and less often, less and less often. But it does not eradicate all memories. It just gives you the ability to deal with it. And, and in that process, to find peace within yourself. Now, how long have you known about this? We're two years in, and we've done counseling. We've been to a retreat, and it, and he has done everything as perfect as he possibly can. And I can't even receive those things because I, I just can't get past the affair. Case, you may really um, – I'm, I'm, I'm going to back up <laughs> – you may consider the EMDR then. Now, again, we can't tell you what to do. We're not counselors or therapists, but it may help you right. to deal more deeply with those kinds of things. Okay. Well, and I, I'm real glad to talk to somebody who's actually done it also because, you know, nobody, well, nobody I know is going through anything like what we're going through, but I, I don't mm-hmm. know anyone who's ever done the EMDR. I'd never even heard of it until mm-hmm. this whole situation. Mm-hmm. It's been, mm-hmm. it's been around for a while. Uh, have you been on our website and, and looked at our three-day intensive by any chance? Um, I did. I sent an email um, requesting some information. So I've been getting the, you know, the standard, um, I guess, group emails or mass emails. But um, I haven't had any one-on-one contact with anyone yet. Okay. Well, it's just something to consider because sometimes it helps to be in a room with, you know, 25 other couples and, and two thirds of them have been right through what you've been through. Sometimes there's great, great value in that because it's like, wow, there are people here who understand what I feel, who, who, who know what I'm going through and being able to connect with those people can be extremely powerful. I'm not trying to do a commercial for our workshop. I'm trying to do to tell you that there are options out there that can help you. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, when I looked at the website, it was after hours, so that's why I sent an email. But I'll try to call um, during business hours then to get more info mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, for sure. And just from your area code, um, that's the area code of where I live. And I, so I, I'm assuming here that you would be pretty close to the one that we're going to have in Dallas in January. 
I saw that it was a tentative um, on there, so I, I was interested right. in that and wondering about that. Yeah. Right. We, we are going to be doing one the last weekend, I think it is, of January. Mm-hmm. Well, whatever you need, I hope that you find it. Do go find those free articles, please, and hopefully that will yeah, help you some. And and if we can help you, sure, you you give us a call. If we can be of assistance, great. We we want you to be, we want you to get past this. We really do. Well, thank you very much. I really do too. I've I've had okay. enough of it. I'm sure you have. Well, you have a good evening. Okay. You too. All thank right. you so much. Okay, and now we're going to area code three one nine. Hello, area code three one nine. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, Joe. Um, this is Tammy Baldwin in Iowa. And um, congratulations on your PhD. Um, I'm good. Thank you for asking. Um, Thank you. And thank you for the congratulations on the PhD. Thank you. So what's happening tonight? Well, okay. So I have a question about um, counseling. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I want, before I get to that, though, um, I want to give you some information what's happened um, this last week. I received divorce papers um, or I received um, a notice of them in the mail. It wasn't an official sentencing like, uh, or uh, official receiving them, but um, I received them in the mail and um, that was on a, um, that was just this uh, last Monday. Mm-hmm. And the papers show that he hadn't, um, he had signed them on October 2nd. Right. And then he had spent been, some time with you and the kids right. on October the 3rd. Right. right. You're right. Thank you. Yes, you remember. Mm-hmm. Well, um, he um, he sent me a text. He didn't send, he didn't spend uh, Thanksgiving with us, but I did appreciate the offer. Um, well, I got a text um, from him um, the other day that said um, it was an apology for um, for me receiving the papers um, without knowing they were coming. Um, he, so he was essentially apologizing for me getting them out of the blue. He said that his lawyer was supposed to tell me or tell him when she was sending them. Um, but apparently she didn't tell him. And so I didn't know. So he was apologizing for basically catching me off guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I, I'm not sure what to make of that, but you can, uh, talk about that in a minute. Um, so, um, I I didn't go out and get a lawyer yet. I haven't talked to I have talked to a lawyer on the phone. I haven't retained one. I had an appointment for one um tomorrow. Um but I have another one that I've been talking to. Um and she gave me a lot of information yesterday and just kind of set my mind at ease that, you know, I'm not going to be divorced in 4 months unless I sign paperwork and it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. She called me back. She called me back today and said that um she and another uh, gentleman would be um, interested in representing me and that she would be willing to, if I wanted her to, at no expense and at no expectations of me retaining her, that she would be willing to contact his lawyer and ask if um, he would be willing to um, hold off until the spring. And that being because this lawyer... Um, was going on maternity leave, but she wanted to be be there for me, but would want to wait until um, she came back. However, the, she is working in a, far, in a firm, and the other lawyer there would be picking up for her if necessary while she's gone. 
Um, I, I the, the lady is just. I thought it was just a godsend. I really did, and um, I accepted her offer. She went ahead and contacted my husband's lawyer, and um, presented him uh, with the with the information. He, she got back with me tonight, and um, he has agreed to Good. hold off on doing anything um, until she's back. Also, he has let him know that he has no intention of stopping any. Um, financial arrangements and has no intention of uh, requesting any temporary orders. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so, I think those so are all wonderful uh, mm-hmm. things. Gives you some relief for at least a, a while. Good. That's good. Yes, at least through the holidays and stuff. So, um, I still have to, though, um, I still have to uh, go for mediation at some point between now and April. And um, that would be with my husband. Um, so the the lawyer talked to me, and she told me that I can, um, because I don't want to get a divorce, I can raise that issue in mediation. And um, it's not obviously not a counseling session. It's not conciliation, which I could request later. Mm-hmm. But um, I, my question is... Um, or I, one of my questions is, how can I approach discussing reconciliation or um, in mediation? How, how do I even go about that? Because I don't want to be discussing who's going to be getting the kids and how much money I want. I, I want to talk about, hey, I don't want to be there. Um, can I do that in mediation? I, not, not that I know of now, but that's just understand that those things are totally out of my area of expertise. You know, we, we deal with, with couples, uh, but not in the legal sense. And that's the kind of thing that you could ask. It sounds like this uh, this female attorney is the kind of person that you really want to work with. It sounds like she's doing good things. So that might uh-huh. be worth a phone call before she goes on a maternity leave, asking her that. Because any, uh-huh. any counselor advice uh-huh. we give you about that is going to be uh-huh. pure speculation. And she, okay. of course, will be an expert on it, can say, oh, no, it goes like this. This is what you can do. This is what you can't do. So, unfortunately, I, I, I don't know how to help you with that. What about asking a mediator? Um, she said we could hire our own kind of, you know, have our choice. Um, would, I be, would I be able to call them and ask them? I really don't know. Again, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. I wish I knew more about that, but that's. That's not our area, and and we're very okay. afraid of even saying anything when it comes okay. to legalities, because if we accidentally led you astray, we'd feel terrible. Yeah, you know, like okay. oh my goodness, we said the wrong thing. Okay. So I, I'm sorry, but I don't know how to help you with that. Okay, okay, that's okay. So, and cons- they also um, there's an option for asking for conciliation during a divorce process, um, mm-hmm. and that you know that which is that's basically counseling, and so. Um, I don't know if you've dealt with this, but like, how do you, um, I don't, I don't know. I guess, um, one of the lawyers told, one of the lawyers told me that, um, when you do counseling, when you ask for counseling in a situation where, um, one of the spouses is wanting a divorce and the other is not, and that counseling is pretty much forced upon that person, that it usually doesn't have a good outcome. It doesn't usually work. Um, what what do you think is your experience in in, in counseling um, court ordered counseling? That that may well be right. It uh, 
if the other person walks into a situation, the, the thing about counseling is that you meet, you know, for a little less than an hour and you'll meet once or twice a week, whatever. And if, if one person refuses to participate because he or she doesn't want to be there, then that can certainly be a big negative. That's why that's why uh-huh. we recommend that that people sometimes ask us, for example, they say, well, what if my spouse doesn't want to come to your workshop? We go, well, it's not it's not counseling. It's not therapy. And so you can give the the following assurances to him or her. They were not going to be preached at. We're not going to twist his or her arm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and so it, it works. If you're going to have a reluctant spouse, it works better to put them into a workshop or seminar that in my experience than it does to put them into outright counseling. Because when you're in a group of people, you can kind of sit there and think, well, that doesn't apply to me. And so you don't react angrily. You don't put up your defenses. And, and you actually wind up picking up a lot of information that you don't protect yourself from because of the fact that you're in the middle of a group of people. That mm-hmm. if you're in a, okay. in a situation with a counselor and just you and your spouse, that you do yeah. put up your defenses and you don't listen to. And so forcing a person into counseling, at least in my experience, seems not to work well. If you're going to do that, I would suggest you pick some group setting like what we do or other people do, because I think that you have a lot better chance in that situation. Okay. So what do you think about him um, apologizing and agreeing to wait? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know, one of these days, one of these days I'm going to wind up um, inventing some kind of a tool I can put on a person's head <laughs> and know exactly why they do what they do. But so far, I've not, I've not succeeded with that. You know, there, there can be a hundred different reasons for that. A hundred different reasons. We talked about last week, the, the possibility that he's an addict. And, mm-hmm. and if he is, then if, if that's correct. And of course, you know, we were talking about the possibility. I'm certainly not diagnosing him as an addict. Then, mm-hmm. then addicts tend to go sort of a roller coaster. It's like they get in, in places where they're very understanding and kind and apologetic and gentle. And then they go back down into that depth again where they're, that they're difficult to deal with or they just disappear. And then they come back up again and back down again. And so because of the possibility of his being an addict, I look at that as, well, okay, that's a good thing. I'm glad he did it. But it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be like that tomorrow mm-hmm. if he's an addict, mm-hmm. if he's an addict. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of scares me because I've at this time not actually retained a lawyer, and um, I can retain her if I need to. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm kind of going on his emotional ups and downs, and I've considered. I thought to myself, what, what if you know? Right now he's saying no, um, or right now he's saying yes, I'll wait. Um, and what if between now and in April he changes his mind again? Yeah, which is always possible. And yeah. and so as much as you can, and I know I know it's hard not to react to his ups and downs, but for your own sake and for the sake of your children, try to be steady as much as you can, no matter where mm-hmm. he is on his cycle. If he's up, if he's down, mm-hmm. if you can be steady, it'll be better for you. Therefore, I, I suggest you don't try to read too much into either, like when he's up and he's polite and kind and gentle, or when he's down and intractable and difficult uh, or even mm-hmm. disappears. I would I would suggest you not read too much into either of those, but just do it okay. to think, okay, that's what addicts do. So rather than trying to okay. take hope or be totally discouraged based on where he is in his cycle, I'm just going to keep doing the things I'm doing and, and, and hopefully things work the way they're supposed to work. Okay. 
So do you do you believe in midlife crisis? Uh, I think I've had seven so far. <laughs> in other words, based on the way people describe them, um, can there come a time when a person gets very depressed because of the fact that he realizes that he doesn't have as much time left as he has before lived and that he's not going to accomplish all the dreams and fantasies he thought he was going to fulfill. Can a, can a man or a woman go into a period of depression and during that period of depression, because they're despondent thinking, I'm not going to live forever. I'm not going to be able to fulfill all of my dreams. Can that person wind up doing some crazy and silly things? The answer to all that is yeah. Yeah. But I've seen people go through cycles like that every seven years or every five years, not just once or twice in their lifetime. And so calling it a midlife crisis, uh, I tend to look at it as it's a crisis of doubt about yeah, okay. what my future is going to be. And because of that doubt, you're going to do crazy things. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it, it's good to talk to you. We're going to move on to our next caller here. And Thank uh, you very much. All right. God be with you. Okay. And we're going to our last caller here tonight, area code two. Hello, area code 832. You're on the Joe Beam Show. Hi, Joe. Hi, Dr. Joe. Congratulations. <laughs> My name is Lisa. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. How can we I help you? A question up. I appreciate your point about asking the counselor whether they see the marriage as a client versus each individual as a client. It's something simple enough that I would have probably not have thought to ask. So I really appreciate that. And I wanted to thank you for, for making that point. Good. In that premise, my question is, with regards to marriage counseling, do you think, in your experience, is it important that each partner has individual time with the counselor, or is it more effective with marriage counseling that the couple is together at the time they're meeting with the counselor? Okay. Now, you understand, of course, that I'm not a counselor. Kimberly has been trained as a counselor, so I'm going to ask her to give her answer to this, too. Sure. I, I do occasionally. Uh, I'll spend two days with a couple um, because my time is so limited that the couple has to make a, a pretty nice donation to our nonprofit. I mean, I don't get any money from it, but the nonprofit gets a lot of money if I can spend two days with people. Okay. Um, and in that, in the period of that time, and I'm not a counselor or therapist, I'm there just to see what's going on and try to help them understand what's happening. And, and if they continue on the same pathway, what's going to wind up from it. And there will be time when I saw I'll spend at least half of the time, if not three fourths of the time with the couple, but I'll spend from one fourth of the time up to half of the time of those two days with the individuals, because sometimes they won't um, be as open mm-hmm. when the spouse is in the room. And if I'm trying to find out what's going on, so, say, for example, um, she thinks he's having an affair. He's swearing up and down. He's not having an affair. Then, then I do need a couple of hours sitting there with him where we can become friends. He can trust me to find out if he's lying or not. Not that I'm going to necessarily go in there and tell her, hey, I just found that he's lying, but to get him to tell the truth to me so we can deal with the real issues rather than him, you know, et cetera. So from my standpoint, it would, it would be, yes, it makes sense that you deal with a couple together, but that sometimes to get to the deeper things going on that they're not going to say in front of the other person that there can be value in individual sessions. But again, that's Kimberly's been trained in that and I've not. So Kimberly. Well, you just like Joe said, what I was going to say is if the counselor is any good, they'll do that. They'll start by doing it with both of you. And then after a period of time, 
depending on their judgment, they will ask either they'll split a session in between the two of you or they'll start with one of you in the room and then switch out in the middle or they'll just schedule two in a row and one's with you and one's with him. Um, but it's usually best for the counselor to recommend that because if you recommend that, then depending on where your marriage is, your spouse might hear that as you trying to be manipulative or things like that, and it could backfire. So I would, um, I would either say something about that to the therapist if you're wanting that to happen or if you think it might be something that could be beneficial make a recommendation, ask if that's something they're planning on doing, or just wait, wait it out and see if the therapist does it, depending on, on what you think about it. But um, uh, yeah, there, there's some other things that I could, that I could go into in there. When he was saying about, you know, if, if um, when you split them up, if what we were taught is if they're split up and then one of them says something that, so let's just say, for example, if I don't know the situation with, with you and your husband, but if you split up and one of them has had the affair and you don't know about it and your spouse would tell the counselor that, then most counselors, if they're any good, they will not keep that secret for a long period of time. They So if your spouse don't they tells have a secret... To? Uh, Do they have the, to? If the counselor sees the marriage as the client... Now, this is getting back into what we were talking about earlier. If the counselor sees the marriage as the client, then they will not keep that a secret, depending on how they, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> Joe's sitting over here looking at me like I'm crazy. Um, because probably what you're thinking is they, they tell you something in confidence. Here's what I, here's what I mean. It's a HIPAA compliance They will thing. end yeah. counseling. If the, they won't tell the secret. I guess I should have said this. They're not going to tell the secret, but if the spouse who's involved in the affair or something like that and is not telling what's going on and refuses to over X amount of sessions, a counselor will end therapy if that if because they will consider that a block to the therapy process. And then after a period of time, they'll just say, I can't work with you anymore. In my experience from working with couples, and again, I'm not a counselor or therapist, but if you got two days with people, you can get a lot done. So far, I've always been able to convince the one to tell the secret to the other themselves, mm -hmm. which is what mm -hmm. you really want to happen. Like, okay, if wow. you're really going to work through this, if you're really going to work through this, then your spouse needs to know the truth. Or if the guy's saying, or the gal's saying, I don't want to say the marriage anymore. Well, that don't you at least show the respect to him or to her so that she knows the truth or he knows the truth. And so I've never... I've never failed in having the spouse who tells me the secret actually tell the secret to the spouse. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm never going to fail. I'm just saying so far it has worked that way. It's also because you're not a counselor. Right. I'm not a counselor. <laughs> so you don't, you don't have to work under certain guidelines. But those are just some things to be aware of in that, in that okay. process. So the, the first answer is yes. Often good marriage counselors will sometimes see you separately. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that they've not seen the marriage as the client. Right. I guess as the, as, as the client, you would want to know that the counselor truly does see it that way. Because mm -hmm. I, I think going separate, separate routes could lead to a counselor suggesting, yeah, you should get out of this marriage. You know, I don't know. Maybe that's just, I'm so suspicious that, you know, maybe that comes up for me. But no, it just from, seems like 
being together in counseling, if it's a marriage counseling session, you should be together. But mm-hmm. I can see how individual sessions are valuable, too, because like you said, Joe, Dr. Joe, people don't necessarily open up all the time if they're That's right. in front of somebody mm-hmm. else, even their own That's spouse. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just kind of all one right. of those play-it-by-ear things, right? Right. Okay. Well, you have a very good evening, okay? Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Well, Kimberly, we've run out of time here. Thank you for being part of the program tonight and sharing your expertise based on the education and experience you've had in the counseling world. And while we didn't talk to nearly as many counselor uh, to callers tonight, I'm, I'm now saying counselors about everything. We didn't speak to as many callers tonight. We spent about 45 minutes on the front end giving a lot of principles because we've had a lot of people ask us those questions. Well, I realize we talked about it probably more than they wanted to hear. But if you go back, listen to this again, go to iTunes Marriage Radio. You subscribe to Marriage Radio at iTunes, and you can hear this all again. And very quickly, um, what would we like to tell them? Uh, we got a new course starting online in January. Do we need to mention that right now? Yes, I think everyone needs to know. So in beginning of January, we're going to be opening up and starting our Save My Marriage course with the weekly group coaching calls. Um, If you're already enrolled in it, then you're going to be able to access those group coaching calls when they come. And I know uh, some people got in on the Black Friday deal that we had, which is no longer running. But um, we're going to be doing a a new special for for the one that opens up in January. It's a really amazing, transformative 10 week course where we go so in depth about everything that you can do to save your marriage when you're the only spouse wanting to save your marriage. So this is an online course for one spouse. You can do it from anywhere in the world, literally. We have people from Asia. All over the world, yeah. Yeah, Asia, Europe, um, a ton of people. And it's it's really great content. But even more than the great content, you're going to get access to the secret anonymous Facebook group that we have, which has an amazing community of people who have gone through the coursework. So they give amazing advice because they've really learned our principles and they have made some great friendships that are going to be, I mean, they're planning retreats together for like yeah. girls retreats, all that fun stuff. And the only way to get into that group is to actually take the online course. So to find mm-hmm. out more, you can send us an email to askjoe at marriagehelper.com. That's A-S-K-J-O-E-S, Joe at marriagehelper. That's marriagehelp, E-R, marriagehelper.com. Mm-hmm. Or you can call 615 472 1161. That's 615-472-1161 if you want to find out more about that. Mm-hmm. Anything else we need to say? That's all I've got. Thank you very much and have a good evening. We'll talk to you next week.